Available now from fxphd.com, all new speed grade fast forward training. Download immediately all 10 classes and footage covering CS6 speed grade. Check it out at fxphd.com. Listening to the RC, your guide to digital cinema, filmmaking, and cutting-edge imaging. Hi, and welcome to this week's RC podcast covering digital cinematography. This week, we're actually dedicating the show to Tony Scott, who uh, passed away uh, last week, very sadly. Um, obviously, here at the RC, we see our role is to basically cover the news, but also filter that down, filter the blogs, and of course, get into some serious rat holes. I am joined in this conversation um, as I most happily. Want to be by Jason Wingrove. How are you, sir? I'm well. How are you? Good, Jason. So we're, we're we're finally together again in the we same. Are. I'm back in the egg in the booth in it's the podcast awesome. pods. It's forgotten how cool they are. These things. Excellent. Yes, that sounds so much better in here. Very sad. The passing of uh, director Tony Scott. Yeah, man, that was just crazy. I mean, won't go into the circumstances, but yep, obviously very very sad. I think he was, he just, I'm th- not sure what the film was, he, didn't he just finish a film? I think he's... Uh, I actually heard that he'd been in pre-production, or even pre-pre-production, um, looking at a possible sequel to um, Top Gun. But I, I've got to say, I'm a little nervous to report anything like that, because in the immediate aftermath of yeah. his uh, passing, and certainly we checked it twice before... Um, we tweeted about it even because it's something really dangerous Absolutely. to Twitter. There's been plenty of people who are still very much alive who'd been reported dead on Twitter. Absolutely. So, and when we got second confirmation, in that case, was I think the second one was from the LA Times, we decided that we'd uh, Twitter it. But immediately after that, there were all sorts of... Uh, well, I think there were just things that people had either made up or just got wrong, um, mm. which has got to be incredibly upsetting for somebody who's involved in, the, um, in this at a more personal level. So... Yeah, and, and I'm afraid he isn't the only person in our industry over the the years who um, has uh, has ended up taking their own life, and it's just a very sad thing that the creative community um, has to uh, has to lose a director like that. Yeah, uh, he was. You know, I really loved his work. There's a few films a bit questionable, <laughs> uh, but well, I couldn't do... you say that about all of us. Huh? Couldn't you Absolutely. say that about oh, all of us? Oh God, yes. Said he sitting here just yeah, he's just he's done fuck all really, but. Um, yeah, I, I, I love Unstoppable. I, ke- I keep watching it. It's good, it's wasn't it? So good, so much fun. And I love, I know I tweeted it, the uh, the extras on that. There's a great sort of behind the scenes, really in quite in-depth doco on, on, on the making of that and how you shoot the traveling train and how, you know the physics and the mechanics of shooting it and rolling a train and rather than doing shit CGI, that's amazing stuff. He was the king of... Of, of of doing stuff like that apart from you know michael bay he was actually the king of doing some awesome uh action scenes but would actually always be mated with really good um you know with the good you know plot and performances and casting apart from uh, nicole kidman as a brain surgeon on days of thunder he was awesome at choosing uh, you know choosing choosing cast yes. uh taking a pal one two three that's a freaking awesome film as well yeah. i haven't seen man on fire everyone says that's his uh best work everyone says you gotta see that one i haven't uh yet to see that one but man which is also denzel right yes i think his last literally his last four or five films or so were with denzel hey um can we change the subject to something more positive 
Yes. Um, so I'm going to say, knowing the answer, what have you been up to lately? He said, hoping that you would segue into discussing your nurses' project. Uh, yes, I just I. Well, that before I went away to uh, North Carolina to do a, I went doing a doco for the last. I went a couple of weeks into LA and, and North Carolina shooting a doco with my very good friend uh, Neil Lawrence, who's a creative director at Lawrence Creative, and he, um, yeah, we were off shooting a, a documentary on a good friend of his who's an artist, and Neil is actually still still over there shooting that. I, I went and, and helped and sort of kickstarted the thing, I guess. Before that, we shot a really nice spot for the Nurses Federation for uh, of Australia, uh, which was really very simple, just two cameras, and Neil, again, helped out there shooting a second camera or additional camera, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, just available light, four or five days, just getting access into... So in fact, I think I made reference to this when you weren't here one time and you were filming that because you Twittered in the emergency room <laughs> and I was like, okay, okay. now I'm in ICU. Yeah, now I'm in ICU and I'm like, uh, Joyce? <laughs> yeah. Do we need to notify the next of kin? Yeah. No, so it was, it was, it was terrific. It was... You say very simple, but actually I, I thought it was just gorgeous and, uh, I proudly retweeted your, um... Your video, what was he put it? Yeah, link it's very in the show notes. simple, and also I think it's, but it's testament to a few things. And Neil was is very into you know simple, uh, honest, and he's like you know a documentarian or a closet documentarian, and now a fully fledged one. But he's very you know uh, strong at pushing longer than thirty second formats, uh, shooting natural shooting style, uh, pushing. Uh, really no drawn out pack shots and voiceovers and real really nice to have a project where there's no agenda and you can just uh, shoot um, shoot what you want and have a reasonable budget and uh, also a testament to a great cut from my good friend Richard Leroy. Yeah, Richard is a really good editor, but I've got to say one of the things I liked about it is in a bunch of scenes that aren't sort of super narratively. Uh, base. It's not mm. like a, a story of somebody coming in no. who's been shot and you no. get treated and leave at the end yeah. with a happy smile and a and a child looking up at dad going thanks. That would be the kind of traditional. <laughs> a, yeah, interesting. There was it a still bit had of a, an arc in it. Sorry, it still had an arc. It did have a little bit. In fact, we actually started off and we shot more of an arc than we used at the beginning. You've got uh, uh, our sort of key, I guess you could say, our lead nurse, who is a nurse, Jenna. In the, mm-hmm. getting up in the morning and turning on, you know, putting her badge on and, you know, brushing her teeth and that kind of thing and getting on the bus early, which is all exactly as she did. Literally, as soon as she wrapped, she had to literally go and do that. So, but then we shot almost like the reverse of all of that, coming home, getting back into bed, light off, you know, in bed alone, like the, you know, the, the lonely, the bed, lonely life of you the lying nurse. On his floor with a camera. What's that? Alone in bed, apart from you lying on the <laughs> floor with a camera. Me my camera. And no lights. I mean, that just was be weird. normal. Just go to sleep normally. Imagine that we're not here. Exactly. I'm just going to hear it's, I'm just crouching on the end of the bed with a 70 to 200 mil lens. It's, it's just, there's nothing wrong with this picture. It's very but we shot all of that arc. And uh, just along the way, uh, I just shot a few little portrait shots. And Richard, you know, just threw a lot of that back end away and just made it simple. And in the end, it's just almost kind of cutting to the beat. Just did a a little sequence of nice little portraits and ended that way. And that's, again, why you get... I mean, I love cutting my own stuff, but again, that's what the bonus of having... What's well, more than a bonus, you know, the benefit of having a good editor, you know, play with your footage and give them time to do so and don't really give them... 
mean, we never had a storyboard. We never had, you know, that was obviously the brief with the reality stuff is that there's no boards, there's no wardrobe, it's what they wear, there's no recce's it's 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 the locations they work in the nurses we shot at were, were those were their departments we didn't force any setups you know but what i mean isn't that the old saying that there's the film that you write there's the film that you shoot and there's the film that you edit yeah yeah even though as you say there really wasn't much of a, an arc it was only we only planned like the beginning and the end and we changed 50 percent of that so and the rest was really going to be we didn't know what we, did. we spent fifty percent of our time sitting in the uh, cafe at the hospital just waiting for something to happen or a baby to be born or uh, to be allowed into emergency or so. But it was uh, yeah, look, it was it was a really good, rewarding, rewarding project, and um, I it was one of the first few ones that I'd kind of graded or co-graded with uh, uh, Dan Moran did a great grade with me. Uh, I guess like the remote grade, you can kind of lock in, you can kind of do a, a, a remote grade from resolve to resolve. If you have sort of files on either side, you can, you know, you can essentially sort of log in like a desktop sharing thing and you can sort of do a bit of grading while while you watch. So a bit of a combo grading thing. It was really nice to actually grade it and um, spit it out from just my Mac and a Resolve and, and, and then go and see the DCPs, I guess it is, just downstairs projected and seeing images that looked exactly like it did on my desktop and, um, uh, yeah, to see it kind of match up, really, with very little effort. And the first print was perfect. But one thing I think was, you know, I was a little bit of a surprise was the 5D Mark III was just a bit, was, every time I shoot stuff like that, I think, hmm, yeah, my Epic's actually pretty good. <laughs> Next time, must shoot with the Epic. <laughs> you know, it's still, you don't get something it's for nothing, still a noisy, even though, I mean, there were some situations we definitely had to have, like literally when you're in like quiet time in the neonatal department and, you know, you've got to child lit with a soft you know a baby that's theoretically shouldn't be born yet under a yeah. led light that's sort of feeding it vitamin d or whatever and you, you um you can't you don't have any control in fact also to i mean hospitals are like like a fluoro nightmare everything is lit with fluoros and, and you know, what i was doing was going around because we couldn't light it i was going around just turning off fluoro so i was relying on the sun that was coming through often, you know, silver-tinted windows. So it was dark to begin with. If I wanted any kind of nice light, I had to start going, you know, making life annoying for all the nurses by turning off all the fluoros in the rooms. Um, so I was pushing it a little bit. But, man, that that is still a... It's a noisy... It's, it's a noisy camera. You can... I mean, I don't look at it on the big screen and think, wow, this is an abomination. But there's certainly a few shots where I think, wow, you can still see what was always there in the 5D Mark II in that that you can get that kind of sort of gridded, you get to see the structure of the sensor almost. You really get that sort of banding and, and you get lines in it and, and, and you know, it sort of muddies up a little bit and it's definitely, it's not, it's not really as noisy in the blacks and, and you still have a little bit more room to lift things. But man, it can definitely... It's a noisy, muddy, never really beautifully pin sharp image, you know. I mean, I don't help by shooting everything at f point point zero 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 zero, but but it's a freaking. It's not a great looking camera, <laughs> you know. It's just fucking the right happened to be the right camera for that. I think that's the point, though, isn't gig, it? You're, you're not saying that it's a bad camera. You're saying it was the right camera to use. It just does. You just don't get. 
a $40,000 camera for $3,000 and there's no discernible difference? No, I mean, things are getting better, but it's not, but it is only by degrees. I mean, there's a lot that is right about the Mark III than the Mark II, but you are still dragging a DSLR into filmmaking, you you know what I mean? Hmm? What what ISO did you say you were at? Oh, look, some of it, I tried to keep it down low as possible, you know, 400s and stuff, but but there was was two or three... Like in the bus, like literally where it's pitch black until she goes mm. under a street lamp and then she's lit at yeah. exposure through a tinted bus window, it would be might have been sort of two or 3,000 ISO. But that's not what I'm seeing as I'm noisy. I'm seeing a lot of it. And also a lot of it I, I shot a little bit underexposed to protect the odd highlight. And then as soon as you start lift that stuff up, that's where you really start to realize that there isn't those guts in those images to well, push but around. That, but now, see, that's a different problem because that's a it problem is different of problem. the file format. Because it the is. file format is still, yeah, you know, a heavily there isn't, Yeah, it's encoded. not a raw format. There's no room to move in it. Yeah, this is, this is true. It, this, this, this is true. There is still a lot to be said about, a, you know, having a raw or a... Um, a file with uh, a lot more information in there to pull around. So yeah, I guess I guess so. It's when you are shooting. I mean, those nurses they do that stuff all day long. They work fast. I'd say, okay, just do that, and then they they do it. And I go, wait, 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 far out. Can you slow down? <laughs> like literally, just putting the shining lights in eyes, or you know, I'd say, why don't you go there, check this drip, da da da. And I think they'd go in and they go bang, 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 and you go. Slow yeah. down. Can we do? Okay, that was terrific. That was really lovely. Can we just do that? Just just one more time. Can we just do it like, you know, at a normal human's pace? This when they when they're overworked and they're you know doing their rounds and they've got, um, you know, fifty patients to cover through. They they tend to rip through it when but it's when it's your you job. To, you know. So talk to me about casting though, because did, I mean you must have even though they weren't actresses, you cast. Or not the only no. casting was Jenna the first one and that was actually a family friend of someone and that but again she was a nurse every single person the rest of the time it was completely Cinderella casting whereby we got access to whatever departments we could and by they had there were people who obviously were happy to be involved and um, were a member of the union and all that sort of stuff so they had to basically once if you ticked all those boxes great you were in um and it's those people that you want. You want the people that come to you and the people that are happy to be on camera. Those are the ones you want You want to shoot, not the ones that you really have to talk into it, you know. So there was, yeah, there was really no casting apart from our, our lead. And you just find some great faces along the way just, just by a sheer, it's a numbers game, you know. You've got to shoot a lot. We didn't throw away much, but it was, it was you know. Anyway, so it was a really good project. And partly we did it together to... Um, I mean, Neil and I, as a bit of a shakedown test for gear and rigs and stuff, because literally two days later we were taking off to go and shoot the documentary. Um, you and I were talking America. about this the other day, this idea that certainly in this country there's a move towards more visual authenticity so that certainly in advertising there's mm. more credibility. And this comes from less studio work, less actors, less smiling mum nodding her head to the side behind the kitchen table. Yeah, and more I mean, it still happens. Yeah, I mean... It's on the telly all the time, but uh, for me, yeah, I'm, I found I was just realizing the other day it's been a long time since I was actually on a set set where I was actually you know walking up the street from where I could park my car two blocks away because the street was filled with trucks. 
you know, and then every shot your dolly's on a, your camera's on a, on a Fisher, Fisher dolly and, uh, it's marks and it's lighting resets and it's, uh, you know, people are pulling tape and it's uh, video village and all that stuff. I mean, I'm not complaining. It's just, it's just interesting. I'm, I'm seeing a change in easily the last sort of six months. For, um, I'm imagining it's not just me from what I can speak to a lot of people. It, it is sort of a change in the, the structure of the average film set is slimming down and changing and becoming a little bit more run and gun. And, you know, if you talk to people like Paul Schneider and talk to people like uh, Toya and those guys, they push that stuff. They say make it so because you've got so much to get through and because you want a lot more coverage and because you want to... You, you want that sort of run and gun style and you want to get a lot of coverage in, in, in and you don't want to... The more you slow down, the more chance it is for the people and clients and anybody to video village to fuck you up or <laughs> security to stop you or, you know what I mean? If you just keep moving, then you just get a lot more chances, a lot more options in the edit room, a lot less stop-start and, you know, the energy keeps going and, you know, you just have a walk away with a much more productive day and a lot more in the, a lot more in the edit bin. Yeah, I do feel, though, that it's partly due to this fatigue we have over pretty images and plastic people yeah i think so anything's too polished or anything's too because i mean too shiny it's just obviously it doesn't it doesn't it's it nobody buys it anymore because we've discussed this trend um i don't know if i discussed it with you but i'm certainly discussing it with some colorists about lifting the blacks and actually having sort of uh this look now where instead of crushing the blacks and making it looking all impressive you're actually lifting the blacks and putting out something that looks like it's ungraded yeah and it's yeah. it's um i've got to say the first time i saw it on air i literally thought there was something wrong that yeah. they aired the wrong version yeah they aired the the flat pass <laughs> that um, aired the uh the yeah. bake yeah no it's 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 true i mean i've talked about this forever that everyone wants ads that don't look like ads and the way to do it is to not shoot one that's the really core you know, I think everyone's got past the wobble the camera and give it a flat pass sort of feel and then we'll just shoot the same old script with the same old casting and the same old cheesy directing and we'll get away with it because, look, it's flat as a shit Carter's hat and there's no... We didn't use a tripod. I think it's... We've gone past that and now people really... I think it's also, you know, it's definitely driven by that whole Vimeo revolution somewhat that... that people are getting what they give that people you know are shooting fun stuff on the weekend and putting on vimeo and that becomes their reel and they show it to creatives and creatives like it and they want more of it and so the directors are slowly i think you know some directors are slowly educating creatives that uh you know the way to really do this stuff is to do it properly so yeah, I guess people are really over it all, and uh, the more and more opportunities people have to fast forward shit or skip shit or download movies or you know do anything other than actually physically sit there and watch ads, the more we'll try and make something that's worthy of people's eyeballs. But mm. you know, I'm probably like a bit of a broken freaking record on on this one. No, no, I think your opinion's really interesting. But um, it's uh, I'm happy with the change. I just was realized I realized how long it's been since I actually sat in a casting or sat in a you know, sat in a meeting where I discussed what was going to be in the back of the pack shot or, you know, or went through, you know, sat so down with a storyboard I'm, guy. I'm in the middle of planning for a large shoot in LA for days and days in a studio 
which I can probably talk about next time we uh, are on air. Excellent. And um, sounds good. Oh yeah, it's old school, baby. This is old uh, school. This I'm, is. I keep thinking that I really need to shoot. I want. I, I don't remember when my last film job was, and I think I want to shoot something on film before producers won't let me do it, or there isn't. I can't. We can't find film. Somebody to put gave us seven, like so four or seven thousand dollars worth of telecine time in yeah. Melbourne. We won it for a film that uh, I think Matt wrote. Anyway, so we never used it. It expired because I never actually had any film that I needed yeah. to run through a telecine, and it wasn't worth shooting film and paying for the film and the processing just to go and use the free telecine time. Because now I could probably have any film camera I wanted. Really. Yes. I could have that full platinum set and the full whole, you know, get yeah, the pan ahead out and, you know, do it uh, <laughs> do it properly and get all those PR shots that I need with my arm draped over the top of a thousand-foot Panaflex so mag. Just, which I used to think was really funny. Your previous PR shot was you with a little point-and-shoot in, in the side <laughs> yeah. mirror of a car so I'm a director, but I'm going to use a and, Canon $300 camera. Yeah, and my I think I need to go retro now with my um, PR shot. My last one is probably a four-year-old bloody red one, me, me, me draped over a red, maybe even yours, and um, a red one. And I'm, yeah, I really want to, I, I really want to get the classic PR shot of uh, me hugging a, hugging a platinum. While they're still around, oh, I, still I just want to. I want to lace it. I want to do it. I want to touch it. I want to. Yeah, I'm over it, Paint. And that this shit I'm going to be doing is while, um, while with um, some good friends. Uh, hopefully, it's going to be on Epic and Phantom. Oh, cool. I'm so over film. Excellent. Um, some other sad news, and I don't have a lot of details on this yet, so I apologise. But as we're recording this, um, Autodesk laid off seven percent of its workforce globally, which is about five hundred staff. So. Um, I don't know if you've been tracking, you probably haven't, but um, I obviously do. No, you probably definitely do. Autodesk uh, basically tumbled in after-hours trading 22% uh, on the basis of really bad earnings. Um, so it sort of basically plummeted uh, in share value down about 8 bucks um, or 20%. And so it was like $27.80 instead of $35.70. Um, and anyway... The stock had been up over the year, but nevertheless, it still took a huge tumble because these results um, were so bad. And so then they announced a round of layoffs, which I understand is um, is seven percent across the board. Now, there's if well, I, they make a lot of shit. They do make <laughs> say a lot of shit. <laughs> Sorry, I mean they make a lot of stuff. They don't make a lot of shit, like AutoCAD and you know. Um, I think I worked out they had about five thousand employees worldwide. Um, it's 7% of their entire stuff, including uh, people in the, um, well, 3D developers. I don't know how it's going to impact the entertainment industry, though I do know that um, they actually singled out that they're going to be getting rid of product managers and, uh, you know, not just programmers and stuff. So I, I feel badly for that, uh, obviously, because, you know, no one wants to see anyone lose their job. Um, but well, obviously, you've got to remember, Autodesk is much more than just our industry. I mean, so what, where is this coming from, do you think? Because anybody put a finger on why the, the slide? I mean, they make why stuff, they, they make industry-leading stuff, like, you know. Because AutoCAD. Flame and Meyer. And this yeah, but I mean, AutoCAD staples, and right? that kind of stuff is much, much, well, bigger in the sense of, like, if you look at their actual uh, revenue yeah, charts, it isn't just Meyer uh, But I've got to say, like, I think uh, to a certain extent, they've had bought some stuff recently. They bought... Um, 
social cam for 60 million oh. and they also yeah probably be quite keen on that 60 million now right now yeah but the other one they they um acquired which um we published on fx guide was uh naiad the fluid sim stuff or rather they acquired all of the people of naiad thus causing the naiad product to die instantly <laughs> um and there all the naiad people are now working uh, at least i hope they are inside autodesk on as yet to be released whatever right um well they're the people they just put off I don't think so. I think that would be a bit, bit mean. Sorry, I'm making light of it. But it's, uh, yeah. that's amazing. I mean, as I say, they're flame and I mean, for your guys, for, for post and for visual effects like Maya and... Uh, and let's face it, XSI and, and 3D Max, yeah. But it's going to yeah. be problems in the... I would say it's partly, um, and I'm purely speculating, but it's partly it's just downturn in the global economy mm. in terms of capital works, which in turn leads to less uh, design generally, which, of course, hits the AutoCAD side of the business. Because, I mean, you know, they use AutoCAD-y type stuff for buildings and stadiums yeah, and massive. public works. And but also maybe it's adapt and die that a lot of this stuff now, you know, it's like they maybe this stuff needs to get, you know, follow the, the resolve model of, of uh, giving this the same or more for, for less. You know, the, as you well know what it costs for a, for a smoke or a flame and the licenses to run it and the support and stuff for a year, it's like completely at odds to what the rest of the industry, even high-end, what mm, I, 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 yeah. I mean, to a certain extent, I agree with you. I think, uh, like, I mean, Shake isn't, I'm sorry, Nuke isn't free. Um, but you know, it's great. And I think if you people have really good software, and the question you could ask yourself is, can you make money with it? Like, is it, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? It's like talking about in terms of cameras, it's the same thing applies, right? It's a really good camera, but can I make money with it? For example, for me, I couldn't make money myself personally with an F65 because while it's a great camera and I'm not arguing it's greatness or not, I can't make money at that level yeah. with that camera. Yeah. Can I make money with a 5D Mark III? Absolutely. Can I make money with an Epic? Yes. Yeah. Can I make money with a F65? No. Yeah. And that's what it comes down to. Um, Actually, I'm contra- I mean, I'm not contradicting myself. I'm ignoring the fact that they have followed somewhat the Resolve model when you look at Smoke for Mac. Yeah. Which was, you know, almost exactly the same. It's come down from a $50,000 thing to potentially a $3,000 yeah, thing. Yeah, I think that they've done themselves a disservice by shipping that too soon. Like uh, the beta yeah. is now, yes. I think, going into December. Um, and we tried saying that around it came out. We're like, yeah. hey, maybe you want to get this working a bit more before you... Yeah. Because I think... They had a great opportunity to make a huge impact. But there's this, this pressure now, you know, to put out a public beta. The trouble with the public beta is everybody really wants... It's got to really be a saying? good beta. Exactly. What they're saying is, I want this product now. And you say, right, well, it's not quite ready yet. And they say, well, give me the beta. And what, what I expect when, I, when you give me the beta, especially a public beta, is it really does work. Maybe just yeah. a couple of things aren't implemented. Look at Resolve 9 beta. I did. I, I graded the last commercial yeah. and went to cinema with a beta. But it's a kind of... <laughs> It's a bit of a thing, isn't it? Like, how beta-y is the beta? Yeah. Because, quite frankly, beta used to be. The whole point of beta is we haven't got all the bugs out yet, so we're not shipping it. And, yeah. quite frankly, that isn't such a bad philosophy. It goes now against the whole reason of doing it in the first place, which is you're trying to 
capture an entirely new market and you're trying to get those people stranded from the whole Final Cut legacy thing of people who are still not made a move. I want something that, you know, to cut with. And they, the whole idea was, well, this is, you know, when you open the whole thing up, it becomes this nonlinear editor and this could be this great uh, new thing for you. Look, you can cut it and then you just need to learn the smoke part and then you can online and do everything and do the whole coloring thing. But most people, including myself, couldn't get past the the NLE part and and I just a lot of people I know people who are very savvy in post who have just spent a while on it and have gone I just can't I just I, I can't like it and um, so yeah it's one of those things that it, it to attract the attention of you know a whole bunch of new market is not just about lowering the price it had to be accessible look at what they've done with with resolve right when they've gone from version 8 to version 9 they've got rid of a lot of clunky you know it based server shit that's all they've hacked all that off and it's so much easier to get footage in now so much easier to get footage into your your media pool and and i mean there's still a ways to go the next version is going to be even better and it becomes it's it's become uh, a lot more accessible without losing any firepower you haven't lost any control it's just got a bit more user friendly so i think that 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 to uh, throw that that massive app at the, a more greater general public it had to it needs to be a bit more accessible no well no i'm just saying like we should just segue into this into the um black magic camera right or yeah, as it's sure. been known sure uh, the BMC because uh, you know you were talking about Da Vinci a second ago yeah um, so this being the RC and all uh, the <laughs> yeah, actually talk about some cameras the uh, so the BMC is not really released yet it's just a lot closer to being released we think because I've actually put out some clips that you can download and play with yeah I hear I hear it's going to be only a couple of weeks away I also hear that there's some maybe some changes to the design. We don't know what that means. Maybe batteries, maybe sensors, maybe something. I'm sure it's probably not sensors now. If they, if it was going to be sensors, they wouldn't sell get all this footage out now. So I'm imagining it's maybe just some you know minor hardware stuff. In well, I don't think it can be because it's now available for pre-order from um, from B and H. And if it was from B and H, you couldn't possibly change the sensor. Yeah, yeah, pre-order. I guess not. I guess not. So three thousand dollars from B and H. I get a two point five image sensor. 12-bit RAW, yep. ProRes and DNX HD, 13 stops of dynamic latitude, obviously the normal sensible frame rates, but no thing slow-mo. Yep. Um, I get the, the touch screen. I get the weirdest-shaped camera in history, and yep. I get a copy of DaVinci Resolve and Ultrascopes. So no doubt about it, it's as close as you get to 3K for 3K. Yep. Um, Indeed. Apart from the you know all the high frame rates that Scarlet was going to offer, but let's True. not talk about it because it never never came close. It, it never even existed in that format anyway. Compared okay, with something that never existed. But, but it was true that uh, Red was going to put out a two thirds inch. Yeah, exactly. Three K for three K. And this camera. is a bit bigger than two thirds inch. It's a micro four thirds, which is a bit bigger than two thirds inch. Um, which leads me to ask you: At any point, are you thinking, "Oh, I'd like one of these"? No, but <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, moving in on. a word, um, no. no. But Why? I'm I'm definitely warming to its um, its capabilities and potential success. I just think this is. I mean, we already know it's going to be incredibly popular uh, with media professionals, interview people, uh, education side of things. 
I think it's going to be incredibly popular for people who want to shoot, make something look really nice, but not battle hair thin uh, or want to battle hair thin uh, depth of field and want to be able to get the media out of that thing quick and cut it. You guys, this is a, something for, for like, you, know, you guys do a lot of interviews. Well, there's, to, like, make there's it a few things I'm going to say. On the B&H page where it advertises the $2,995 offer, it does actually say they think it's coming August 30th. And right. I absolutely want to play with it more. But I have played with it already. I mean, yeah. I've shot with it, though I can't show any files. Yes. And there were things that desperately needed attention, in my opinion. They have, they may have done these things. I would not know because I've not used Can them. Can you say what those things were? Well, I'll give you one example. Focus. How do you think um, focus would work? Yes. Good question. I'll tell you how it worked. You would click on something in the scene and say, I want it to focus on that. Yes. But it was not in any way... Uh, sorry, that that would be fine. That would lock. Yes. Then the next thing is, how would you do exposure? Right, touch focus, like iPhone touch yeah. focus. But how right. would you do exposure? Same way. You click on the screen and that say... That was I it? W-. Yeah. There was no dial-up. There was no F4. manual. No. I want to select to no, eight and have it... No. You no, tap the screen. No. Like the iPhone thing where you yes. tap it, attach it for what? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Well, hopefully they've changed that. Me too. Um, now, I but said, you can I'm always... Not, I, mean, not, I wasn't using a beater. I wasn't using an official... I mean, it was a camera, obviously. You can manually focus was, these things, of course. You can manually focus, but not manually expose. Yeah. No, that because was a bit because I was using it under... I mean, it was totally allowed by uh, Blackmagic Design. They gave yeah. permission to do it. But um, it was in no means the shipping software. Yeah. Uh, but I would just say that, like, for me, if I don't have explicit exposure control, like, I want to be able to say, hey, Jace, what have you got over there? Five, six? I got five, six here. Yeah, Not exactly. Go, I yep. clicked on the gray wall over there for my exposure. Can you click you on click the same on that. gray wall? Well, I've got a bit of a shine from the other. I'm, ah, my really? wall is slightly different gray than you because I'm yeah. closer to the light. And, and, the- and so the other thing is I'm not, like, I'm just not in a position as you as one is to sort of really give the thumbs up all the thumbs down until you can have a chance to play with it because there are all these sorts of things you just don't know. I and mean, how much will it annoy me that there is no explicit battery? Yeah. I don't know. I might be a deal breaker. But, you know, then people said that about the iPhone until the iPhone came out. And the iPhone now, I yeah. don't have a... People just deal with it. You just have plug packs and things and yeah. there's a whole But that being said, whole I don't imagine of... I'm going to be happy without, uh, you know, because we're swapping batteries on the 5D Mark III all the time. Yeah. I don't want to stop and just charge the camera because it's a you know it's a different kind of equation. Like I would have my phone on all day and charge it overnight. I can't be filming all day. Well, can I? It's uh, the opposite of a five D. The battery will last ages, but you can only shoot for a five D Mark II. You can only shoot for fourteen minutes. <laughs> this thing you can shoot with the SSD. You can mm. shoot forever, but your battery's going to run out after half an hour. Well, again, I'm half sure an hour, people, we don't people know. will adapt. It's it's way more. Um, there you must know. be a bunch of people that sold a bunch of stuff for red ones that are saying, gentlemen, start your engines. I've never seen a camera that screams more for third-party add-ons. Than oh, it's def- everyone's got it. Everyone's doing it. Ton- every single person. Well, Zacuto's do- done stuff. Um, Bebob. Um, I know I've been asked by a couple of other people saying, what do you think of the Black Magic camera? Should we be developing stuff for this camera? Um, being an Australian camera, they or partly Australian design camera, the uh, Genus or Genus Tech, who are an Australian uh, origin uh, camera tech 
company and camera gear company have uh, I think they have or have, have released a um, a cage. Every man and his dog is uh, doing a uh, doing rigs and bits and bits and bobs for this camera. So yeah, it look absolutely. And there's plus there's many things that can be adapted. You just need an external battery pack. There's going to be plenty of people who've going to work out cables and brackets and mods to be able to put a a V-Lock or an NP90 or, you know, uh, you know Anton Bauer or something on the back and, and, and run this run this fine. So, look, I think it's definitely going to have a lot more um, legs than I'd originally... A little bit less sort of quirky, unusual thing. It's certainly going to... Um, they're definitely going to be able to sell way more than they can make to begin with anyway. Um, I do think, yeah. Well, what, did you play with the imagery though? I mean, the, one of the things... Were, well, what do you think that of they have released? What do you think of that clip of the girl with well, the blowing kind of... None of it's super sharp, but I haven't downloaded all the clips. There's about five or six clips. We've got links in the show notes to that. Oh, this, is link, this is not leaked. This is files that have been released by, by Blackmagic on their new... on their forums, on their blogs. Um... Uh, also, Stu downloaded it, right? Yeah, yes. Um, if you go to Prolost, prolost.com slash BMC, uh, there's a, a Stu did a bit of a post on um, grading the stuff in, because it uh, comes as Cinema DNG, it's uh, basically, like, it's a, what do you call it? It's an um, image sequence. It's basically um, a, sequ- a sequence of frames, individual files. So you can grab, put them all into into and grade them um, in Lightroom and export them from there, much the same as if you were doing, say, a time-lapse. So I haven't, I haven't dragged anything into uh, I mean, I Resolve yet, point. which I'm sure will completely, uh, you know, be very, being from the same manufacturer, will, of course, I'm sure, swallow those files most happily. But, uh, I mean, the, the imagery looks, looks good. It's surprisingly, there's, there's some shallow depth happening there as well for a micro four thirds. Um, it, that's why I think it'll, 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 it's, we'll, we'll catch on. There's a lot of, uh, you can get a lot of a nice imagery out of it. Well, remember that's what I said out of NAB. I could actually get some, you know, I mean, you think mentally in your head, you're going to get a pinhole camera and you just don't. Yeah. You do get Yeah, it. no, absolutely. And it's and you're dealing with raw files. So there's You probably a won't get that my nose is in focus but my eyes are out of focus. Yeah. Um no. thing. But then quite frankly as you no. pointed out, that's really hard. Not yeah, everyone okay. wants that. I've yeah. been caught I'm caught out by it daily and, you know, it's a constant battle and it make life a pain. The imagery of in my book that that, that battle is is worth the pain. But for a lot of people that is not their their bread and butter. They don't you know, they don't want it. They want stuff that where you can see the people's eyes. <laughs> so, uh, look, I mean, uh, look, it's 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 tackling a lot of stuff that we talked about before with the exposure. I underexposed 5D Mark III and the thing goes to shit. You underexposed this. Um, this is what I'd like to see is I'd like to see some underexposed stuff and see what you can lift it with, you know. I want to see some files that are quite dark and see what you can pull out of them because I'm sure being essentially well, more than raw, a 5D, raw files, obviously. there's going to be a ton more yeah. information in there. Yeah, I mean, that's going to be the trade-off. You're going to get more... Stuff. And honestly, there's a there's another school of thought that says if you've only got three or four thousand dollars, you've only got three or four thousand dollars. I actually know yeah, talking absolutely. about a forty thousand dollars, I'm never going to afford it. So, in my price bracket, would you want to have? The, and the thing here is, of course, you know, this is a video camera, not a stills video camera like a five D. Yeah. So it should be maybe compared more to something like the, um, well, one of the Sony cameras. And in that hunt, that's your your comparison, right? I guess, but again, it's raw, so it's it's new. It's a new, it's a different horse, uh, yep. for you know. 
for a different for it's it's another choice and it's i think it's uh you know it's it's a more no i won't say anything about digital bollocks i'll move on um, <laughs> really gonna, you really got a thing about that haven't you which is released this month last month or should we release but oh no it's not that's right anyway moving on no seriously what is the deal with that bit uh, I think it's still being developed. There's, an, if you look on their blog, there's an awful lot of time being spent developing postcards and t-shirts and uh, calendars and stuff, and uh, getting everything the Kickstarter people wanted, apart from the actual camera. You know, I mean, th- th- this is to be expected. I, I would never have expected that they would get it out on time. It's one of those things that it's, you know, even read with, you know. Uh, a with large. hot and cold running money would yes. just come out of every single tap at, at uh, Red Digital Cinema and they still couldn't get stuff out on time and it was they will time and time again admit that this, this shit is hard and it's harder than they ever imagined and even though a lot of what's happening with digital bolex is more off the shelf is like almost piecing together off the shelf parts to make a not off the shelf camera it's still going to be hard yeah well, let's go to the Red Room. Um, in the Red Room this week, and we'll come back and talk to more about uh, funky cameras after the Red Room, we have Jim Gagildik. Now, Jim is a uh, really good uh, cinematographer, but also has this kind of a, I don't know, uh, flexibility of work. You know, he's like really keen to get out there and do stuff in a bunch of different environments. Um, he's been on the show before. Uh, he's taking part, well, taking part, he's involved with Take Part TV's effort uh, to highlight uh, Jordan, who's actually um, Jace a blind uh, judo. You've seen the. Um, I'm going to say it's a yeah. program. It's not really a program. It, there's a trailer, and then there are episodes on the web. Yeah, highlighting. So it's a bit like a documentary. It's on kind of the like web. episodic mini documentary. Kind yeah, of for thing. for the Team USA for the Paralympics. Um, yeah, and Jim's a great guy. Um, I've shot with him, and one of the reasons we want to talk to him is he was shooting with the Phantom Miro on this. It's also, I'd say, a really good piece. I wanted to highlight it, not because we've never heard of anyone shooting with a, a mirror before. We obviously have, but this is just a good, effective use. And it was just kind of interesting to hear a cinematographer talking about filming uh, a blind athlete that was just respectful and mm. inspiring. And ah, yeah. As soon as I heard about the project, I thought this is getting really interesting. This is something a really a very interesting project. Well, I spoke to Jim uh, via satellite earlier in the week. You are entering. The Red Room. So, tell me, what is the actual sort of nature of the project? Like, there seems to be episodes as part of Take Part TV. Tell me, tell me how this all works. Um, so, basically, Take Part TV is the, it's a, I guess you would say it's the digital arm of participant media, the same people that did uh, The Cove. Uh, so, this is kind of their digital online presence. And it's a series on the judoka, the blind judo athlete, Jordan Mouton, and uh, kind of her, uh, it's a mini doc broken up into uh, a bunch of different episodes, kind of talking about her uh, her trials through, um, you know, going through to the Paralympics um, and going for the gold um, as a blind uh, Paralympian. And how did you get involved? Um, I was brought on through the director, uh, uh, which was Jacob Rosenberg from Bandito Brothers. 
And one of the hallmarks of the footage that you've shot is that uh, you've got a very effective and I think quite emotional use of uh, slow motion. Can you talk to me about what, uh, where that came from and what the sort of intent was other than obviously just cool shots? Yeah, the, the, basically the intent was there to, to extenuate the story. Um, a, lot of, a lot of it was interviews uh, mixed with B-roll, but the, uh, the kind of moves uh, that they do, the throwing style and the grappling that they do, um, it looks like a dance when, when these athletes do it together. Um, it, it becomes something pretty beautiful, and, and I think the overall consensus was the best way to do this would be through high speed and obviously with a, with a phantom. And, um, when you see the episodes and when you see the trailer and you see the slow motion, um, you can really tell it does look like a dance, how they're grappling, how they're moving, um, kind of in sync and how they interact with each other, how the body parts are kind of going in and out. Um, you know, it almost looks like a slow motion dance. It's it's an incredibly moving story. Um, just in terms of the structure of it, I episode one and I think two are is up, but three and four are talked about. And then there's the trailer. How many parts are there in total? Um, in total, I think there. I could be wrong, but I think there's six parts right. that are going to be coming out. The way they were broken up was to uh, to be these episodes through uh, through take part and. Um, have them just kind of broken up to tell her story as, um, you know, the Paralympics was following up, uh, you know, the, re- the, the story kind of following into the, the Paralympics and let's see. So there's, yeah, it looks like it's six. So there's four episodes left after these first two. So six altogether. And is it, uh, I presume from an editorial point of view, they've peppered, the slow motion stuff or did you work on all of the sort of interviews and stuff or primarily on uh one part of it i presumed that you're working on on the uh sort of more stage slow motion stuff but were you working on all of it yeah i was working on all of it there was right. actually there were actually uh three of us that were there were three T- dps on it so there was uh myself uh and two other dps and basically yes uh predominantly my focus was um, a lot of the high speed, but uh, I was shooting, you know, the B roll and the interviews too, and we covered, um, we covered a lot uh, as far as coverage goes because of um, it was basically uh, only a few days shoot in in uh, San Francisco and San Bruno where uh, Cahill's Judo Academy is, and a lot of people flew in. Uh, just to train with Jordan because she lives in Texas. Uh, when she flies in, and because the the uh, judo athletes are very passionate, and they're you know this particular uh, dojo w- has you know has a very family feel, and yeah. there's a lot of respect with Coach Cahill. Um, you know, it, it's it's a family lineage that you know he has been doing. You know, which came from his father. And um, they they've been doing uh, judo, uh, you know, for you know close to fifty years through the family, and uh, a lot of people come and participate and help each other, especially Jordan, um, coming from Texas to train and having other uh, both 
sighted and blind uh, judokas come and uh, you know kind of help her train for um, the Paralympics. I must say, Willie Coach Carhill seems like a tremendous uh, individual. Um, it's a really interesting story. So just give me the rundown on the sort of technical side of it. Now, if we can move away from some of the emotional impact of it. Um, what were you primarily shooting? We mentioned the Phantom, but you, were you not? You weren't shooting the Phantom for the behind-the-scenes stuff or the, rather the interviews? No, the, the interviews were all 5D and 7D. Right. Um, so the re- the reason with going with them over, uh, say, other you know more digital seminar packages was that we had to shoot a lot. We had you know a media manager um, on set with, on location with us who was uh, just taking cards, and we were just basically spraying the footage. We were covering um, and making sure we had more than enough coverage of not only the classes that were going on. Uh, to to cover a lot of the action and and show, um, kind of the the beauty part of this, the kind of dance between uh, two judo athletes, um, but also just showing that it's it's also it's a lot of hard work. Um, these these athletes train um, day in and day out, and uh, you know it's 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 definitely a passion that a lot of these athletes. Um, do for a lifelong commitment, um, like Coach Willie Cahill, um, like Jordan uh, at first, who uh, you know, kind of her story was in there that they, um, you, you know, she was r- really upset when when she lost her sight that she couldn't do soccer anymore, and, and it kind of like you know she stuck with it and she's here now. Um, but for all that coverage and all the run and gun. Uh, and, and swapping out lenses and using zooms and, and primes and uh, the the lighting that we had, you know, DSLRs seemed to be the best uh, uh, option because it was run and gun. We had to get in their faces. We had to get low. We had to be high. We, you know, we had to like at a moment's notice be able to just run around the dojo or run around San Francisco and get a lot of coverage in only a few days' time. Yeah, and I mean the physical size of the camera must have helped when – uh, shooting some of this stuff because you're actually quite close to your subjects in many of the the shots. And uh, tell me uh, the phantom stuff. Just just walk me through that. Uh, you they're quite sort of stylized in the sense that you've got this pool of light where the uh, the two are playing. So you've got a very naturally high con environment because you've got this sort of dark, almost virtually black background, and then these white uh, judo suits. Um, mm-hmm. How did you go about lighting it, and did you have any issues over that contrast range? Um, uh, going about lighting it for that, so that that particular look that we were going for, of uh, you know, that kind of played on the whole coming out of the darkness into the light, finding finding something new uh, when a life challenge comes into play. That's where the kind of whole lighting mood came from. Uh, that was lit with a um, 18k re. Um, which we called, you know, quote unquote, the God light, uh, which gave it that very kind of high con, uh, look peering down at, uh, the athletes. And it gave it that real kind of hard spot focus, which in a way we knew it was going to overexpose. And we, we kind of went with it that way, making sure we gave enough information to, uh, to the mirror in this case, um, 
you know, even with the idea of that, it may look a little bit overexposed when we shoot it, but then we can always bring it down. And we kind of like the way that it looked where it was a bit more, you know, uh, the exposure was a bit more than you normally would do. So, um, and we just liked the way that it looked when we were shooting it. So we, we kind of stuck with that look. Um, and a lot of the stuff too, there was, you know, we used, uh, some light panels, one by ones, and uh, the light panel solos to kind of use as little kicker lights. Because what would happen is, because there was such a dramatic lighting situation with that 18k above head, um, that um, some of the detail that we were looking for, as far as little kicker lights, that we needed for some of the close-ups of the feet um, as some of the grappling was happening. Um, we needed smaller lights that can be dimmed down and uh, give that little kick detail that we needed for the Phantom to, to pick up for that high speed. So people always worry about light flicker. Um, tell me, what frame rates were you shooting at? Did you have any issues over light flicker? Um, we did because of the lighting that it, was, it, was, uh, it wasn't a full lighting kit that we had. We didn't have a full grip truck. It was very minimal. We had the 18K um, some one by ones, uh, some kinos, and uh, we kind of went with what we had because the dojo too wasn't that big of a place, and because of some of the stylized looks that we were going for, um, when I was shooting the Phantom during the day, when the dojo lights were on, obviously um, we were going to get strobing, and you know you can try and mess with shutter angles with high speed. Um, but you'll never get away from the strobing effect just because of the you know the hertz um, and mm-hmm. the frame that you get there. But sometimes that doesn't look too bad. Sometimes there's a couple shots in there that you will actually see the strobing, and it doesn't look it doesn't look horrible. It kind of gives it a little bit of a, uh, of a life to to that particular shot, and you kind of see that in in things like with the sports too, like NFL and. Um, uh, certain shots, like in the Olympics, you'll see. Um, you can't always get away from it depending on the lighting situation. But when we were doing the controlled light, um, we didn't obviously we didn't have the the, the flicker issues because it was uh, controlled, um, you know, HMI and LED lighting. And the frame rates mixed. Um, some of the shots we went as high as a uh, thousand, and then we based off of there the kind of stylish. Uh, the stylized moves that they were doing as far as the, the throwing and the grappling. Um, so we usually stayed around, um, 460, uh, 640, 860, and then a thousand. Um, we did, we tried a couple shots, uh, at, uh, say 340. So we're kind of jumping around a little bit. Um, but some of the harder throws without the mats in place, we're doing at higher frame rates, so those are usually around um, 800 plus frames per second for for some of the more technical uh, throws and grappling. Did Did you say which model Phantom you were using? Uh, yeah, it was the Miro 320s. Right. So, how do you find it as a camera? Uh, I still like them. I you know the uh, the one thing I really wish that that camera had was onboard. Uh, onboard controls <laughs> at least something right like just get yeah. you somewhere it, it would be you know like every camera sometimes things hiccup and uh um 
that would be one of my most probably feature requests to uh, to Vision Research is to have onboard controls on the on the mirror cameras. Um, so hopefully, uh, you know, they've heard my request many times, and hopefully, we'll see it uh, in, in another model in the not too distant future. But um, other than that, you know, the, it, it's great because it was you know just like the DSLRs, that particular Phantom is very non obtrusive, especially if you're in the face of, of someone and um, some of the tight shots with, with Jordan close up shots of her, of her uh, face and up close, you know, she can feel the presence that, you know, something is, you know, a camera is, is there and we're there within her um, range. Uh, but for her, the thing that she kind of kept coming into is she uh, she definitely felt the light. She felt the presence of the light of that. It was such a strong light. And, and then 18K is obviously a very strong light. Um, but for the other for the other people involved, too, that were were sighted, um, when we really got up in their faces and they were working with Jordan, um, they felt both the DSLRs and and the Miro was very not obtrusive. They you know, because those people aren't usually in front of camera mm. uh, at all. And they were floored when we were doing playback. Um, everybody would crowd around the the mirror um, and playback. And I would just, you know, play back the footage. And they said, this is, this is amazing. This is actually a really great teaching tool to see all the nuances of how, you know, you go from grappling into the throw and how, you know, somebody's hip may come out versus how somebody's foot may be sweeped behind them. So they thought of it not only really cool that they could see the high speed of the throws, but they thought of it as, as something too of, uh, of a, a training help to them to be able to see it at high frame rates. Though ironic that that's the case when your subject matter is blind. Yes, yes, but she, she may be blind, but she, you know, how the how the judokas do it that are um, that are blind is that they do it all by feel. So when they first start out, they start out in a grasped uh, um, grappling position, and that's how they know exactly where where each other is. And they can, you know, that's why they wear the geese um, all the time. Is is that when they when they're grappling each other, that's how they do a start off. Now, let me ask you a technical question. So the group that we, you established take part, you know, is mm. associated with a bunch of films, including Waiting for Superman, which is a big favorite of mine, and, and uh, Inconvenient Truth and Food, Inc. and stuff. These mm. are theatrical titles that ended up with a, you know, big projected final master. These uh, pieces that we're talking about, these episodes, the six plus the trailer, are ending up on the net. So were you thinking that your destination target was going to be like a lower res file or were you trying to finish these in a higher res in the case that's, in case they get recut into something? Because you don't need to be, you know, 1920 by 1080 for displaying on the web. Yeah, we we knew that the initial part of uh, of the, des- the, the digital uh, distribution for this was going to be for the, for the web. Um, but... You know, that's not to say that there isn't another uh, plan for these. So the edit that was done at Bandito, uh, Bandito Brothers, was done, you know, in Premiere uh, with a 1080 finish to get the higher quality master file. And then from there, it was compressed for the for the web. So it may not, uh, this story may not 
just be destined. You know, maybe there would be Jacob may do a director's cut. Um, and I know I plan to do a, um, a just, uh, you know, just a phantom cut, a, just a, a, a slow-mo cut with some of the VO as, as, uh, just kind of some other kind of interesting cut from this, uh, from this project. Cause it, it, it is, you know, like you said, it's very emotional. It's very moving. And the story, um, is kind of a story, just a really moving human story of, of someone that it, you know, is overcoming adversity of, um, and, and sticking with it even through, um, injuries and, you know, something as, as far as being blind and going for a gold medal in the Paralympics. A lot of being there all day and all night and watching the classes and then watching the training. And then when we would do the, the stylized lighting helped us a tremendous amount because we weren't wasting, um, any time. And it's not easy for a lot of these athletes, especially Jordan. You can't have someone just say, Oh, can you flip that 270 pound guy again seven more times? You know, <laughs> no, she, she was throwing some very, very big guys. Um, there's this one guy, Chris, who's, who's also a blind judoka and, uh, he was a big guy. You know, he, he had to be, uh, you know, middle two hundreds in there. He was a very well-built guy and, and she was throwing him for, you know, for a good time. So, we really had to kind of work around them and find their flow. And then, then we would get in there and figure out how we would move the camera and what angles we would try to get. And it was a, it was a lot of fun. When the shoot was all done, um, you know, one thing that we came up with was letting – we had watched Jordan uh, throw everybody for days upon days – and we only felt it right that we let Jordan throw each one of us that was on the production. <laughs> okay. I, I think that's great. How did it feel to be tossed around like a rag doll by, uh, by somebody yeah, that really knows what they're doing? Exactly, yeah. And uh, nobody got hurt, and so that was a good thing. Hey, um, did you film that? Yes, we did. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> so that's behind the scenes. Um, yes, I have footage of me and Jacob being thrown, and I can uh, I can give you that footage. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I, I appreciate it. Hey, um, thanks so much. It's been great talking about that. Thanks, Jim, for that. That was awesome. And uh, I'm not quite sure uh, where you find the footage now. Oh, we were sort we'll of put sent, a link on that. We'll put links in the so show notes. If you notes, did a search on uh, Take Part TV, Blind Juduko, um, which is J-U-D-O-K-A, Juduka, um, you'll find it. But there's a trailer, um, and then there are the uh, two at the moment of, I think, six episodes that he said um, are going up there. And I've got to say, um, one of the things, we, we touched on this in an episode of FX Guide TV where we did uh, this crowd in uh, Europe that are doing incredibly fast moving motion control cameras oh, yeah. to shoot slow i got to say, i got to put a note in the show notes for that. That was freaking awesome, that. It was good, wasn't it? That was sensational. Just like these cameras, uh, you'd have a panning shot by someone playing drums, and it would look all normal, right? And then you'd have to stop and go, hang on a second, he's going super slow-mo, but you're slowly panning past the, uh, the drum kit. So in real time, you'd have to have been flying around, and sure enough, they were. Yeah. Well, Jim had the same problem as you heard in the in the interview because he had to move his camera, uh, his mirror really, really quickly 
past people's faces in super sort of close-up because, of course, when it's all played back in really slow-mo, you want that, you know, and as he said, it's that's the thing these days, to get slow-mo with the camera moving. Yeah, uh, it makes such a difference. Uh, yeah, uh, again, that, that, that FX Guide TV, that, that trailer or whatever it was that those guys did. Or well, we were you, talking to them, did and they, them. they gave us their showreel, oh. and then we, um, we worked with them to put it together. I mean, But it's uh, like a behind-the-scenes yeah, thing, behind it's everything, it's not just the showreel. Well, because you have to see the behind-the-scenes. Yeah, I think you it's have just, to see the machinery and how it works. Yeah, and, and also, fun guys, like, they just are really... Yeah, um, they really get it. Yeah, I want to go work there. That build construction, awesome. If yeah. you were going to shoot food shit, you would make sure you had the budget to go and shoot with those guys or liquids or anything that you wanted to do slow motion. Because imagine you've got a bottle of wine that's knocked off a table and it falls and shatters, and the camera goes down with a bottle of Can wine, fall so it's there at with the top. a falling bottle. Yeah, yeah. But You're doing course, a phantom being thrown down and hit stops, and the focus is uh, you can program yep. so the focus is perfect every time. And you don't get any uh, sort of bounce because what the other thing is you don't want to do is you don't want to yeah. stop and then there's no recoil and then thing, come back again. Yeah, when it parks, it parks. It parks that sucker. But you know that's really dangerous tech too. Oh yeah, you, one absolutely. of those suckers doesn't that stop is, for somebody. Yeah, robotics break your own that stuff. Oh yeah, that'll yeah kill you stone dead. Someone hits the wrong button. That's like pyro work. Reset and you demolish a table. Yeah, or someone hits the action button and you're underneath it checking focus. There goes your. There goes the camera's going through your head. Yeah, yeah. Not that that happened. <laughs> Not that that ever happened. These guys and also Jim are very good at what they do. Um, but yeah, we're hoping to be shooting some more stuff with Jim ourselves soon. Great, great guy, and we really appreciate his support. Um, Excellent. So uh, I'm going to swing back on a couple more cameras. I know you're tight for time, as well. you have been for the last well, I don't know six months. All good. Um, there's this uh, Cine Affinity. The Kinefinity. Kinefinity. Is that the Chinese. This is your second favorite camera. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's been coined yet. Yeah, we'll call it the Arexa. Arexa? Um, Not sorry, that there's... I didn't mean to no. insult anybody. One of my best friends here at the company. <laughs> I know. Is, uh, from Jim China. would be... I know Jim would be quite happy with that joke. Um, well, they... Because uh, what's happening at the moment is... Um, there's essentially like the Chinese kind of IBC or the Chinese NAB, which is uh, happening at the moment. And uh, Kinefinity being a China-based company who've developed this, uh, I suppose, the Super 35 RAW. It's kind of like a love child of an Alexa and a Red One, really. But uh, Super 35, not an awful lot of word on frame rates at the moment, but reasonably, reasonably cheap, 6,300 US. We've seen this... Every once in a while, we've we've mentioned it a few times on the show as it's been evolving. It's really actually seems to be coming to fruition now, and it's you can now start to pre-order the thing. Um, and there's a few more details and pricing and stuff now starting to firm up. So yeah, six three for the basic uh, brain with uh, no lens mount, but lens mounts are about a couple of hundred bucks. There's a Nikon, a dumb Nikon and a dumb Canon mount and PL, and they're both about a couple of hundred bucks. Uh, SSDs you still need, but they use as off-the-shelf SSD units, which is like a huge saving, even though those things are freaking expensive still. They are a lot cheaper than, say, shall we say, proprietary SSDs, in inverted commas. Now, in we're going to come up with some um, film festivals in a second and uh, some really cool stuff, including your own one. But before we get to that, two other quick things I wanted to flag. Yep. Uh, there's this Sony NEX... EA50. Um, yeah, look, it's not normally the kind of thing... Look, it is, I suppose, the kind of thing we would cover because we talk about 
uh, large sense of stuff and stuff that's changing the industry or how it's shown to reflect a change in the industry. And this is probably the most kind of ENG, EX, uh, EX3-ish kind of um, P2 counter camera. APS-C sensor, right? APS-C sensor. So the NEX EA50. So it's kind of out of that NEX family, the FS100, FS700. So it's down the bottom end, really, I guess. But it's uh, I, it's a more sort of ENG run and gun wedding reality TV kind of version of of the any like the FS one hundreds still has the A mount, uh, but they also announced I guess what you can get bundled with it is this new eighteen to two hundred uh, little servo zooms quite small quite not quite light quite compact you can actually even put that lens on an FS one hundred or even on an NEX five if you want to. Um, but I guess it's a more shoulder mount, uh, definitely more weddingy looking thing. But you know, we're starting to see the whole ENG and uh, reality TV side of cameras starting to move towards a larger sensor, which is really interesting. So I mean, it still you, uh, follows a lot of the back end form of the FS100 and stuff like that, where you can have the. Um, Flash memory unit, the FMU unit, and or go to S, uh, um, SD cards or memory sticks, and still records on the same in the same same formats, uh, and it'll do full 1080 up to 60 frames a second on your shoulder for three for um, what is it? It's uh, four and a half, four and a half grand. Yeah. Hey, with um, the lens. What about the open source? Impressive. The open source camera. So, because Mike, we were talking about this. We've been doing this podcast, whatever, four and a half years. When we first yeah. started doing this thing, there was nothing like this. No, there was like we talked about the what is it? What was that? What's that P two camera thing you had there? It was the P two HVX HVX two hundred two hundred and stuff like that, right? So yeah. this is like complete, completely eating no eating that's lunch totally right. But but I want to just keep moving on because running out of time. Yep. Because um, the other camera I want to flag is this open source camera, the. Yeah, it's been around, been around a little bit, but uh, they've now. I don't think there's any prices yet, but it's still worthwhile checking out uh, their website and checking out uh, their YouTube video, which I first I must admit I thought was a little bit of a joke just because the wonderful uh, accent of the guy. But the Apertus Axiom. So this is open source, 4K. There's been a few of these kind of little mini cams, but this is the first one that actually will do. Um, um, reasonable frame rates and is actually super thirty five. So uh, Apertus A P E R T U S again links in the show notes. Um, so so okay. So the reason I wanted to quickly flag these extra cameras yeah. is we you and I haven't spoken since the great Sakudo shootout. Hey, guess what? Francis Ford Coppola really likes a GH two more than he likes an Alexa. Yeah. Thing. I just no, really. I need I to must get your admit, take. Met. I've sort of been a bit. I haven't really been in touch with the whole shootout too much, to be honest. So you've probably seen more of it than me. I, I have, and obviously, I have. I don't think anyone. I mean, look, a brief history in time comes to mind, which is to say, a book that everybody bought and no one actually got to the end of. Guilty. Um, yeah, I know. And don't you feel a bit that way about the incredibly great, really well-produced 18 hours of Sakudo shootout? Um, you know, <laughs> the shootout that everyone shootout started one, and never part finished. Part two, part three, the making of, directors, <laughs> backlit against black commenting. I mean, I have no criticism of their 
work ethic. I have no criticism of their contribution to the industry. I have no criticism of who they got involved. Slight criticism of the editor, but yeah. not just cutting it <laughs> For down. For length of it. It's like, I don't have that It's many like, don't you do that, life. though, when you go, like, you sort of say, oh, look, I really need something. I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just Google top 10 whatever, this graphics card or whatever it is, and then you just immediately just skip to one. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you um, read an enormous 20-page camera review, just like there's page two, specs and things, the menus and stuff, and you know down the bottom, step 25 is like conclusions. Just yeah. go, right, go down to test page 25. But, but just tell me, what, what, the, what do we think? There was video after video, and they wouldn't tell you what the bloody... Because, of course... Well, it was know. never intended ever to be, even with the first shootouts, ever intended anyway. to be like a shootout or to be no, like I a know. winner. But Sakuto Revenge thing Part 3 bit, has caused a lot of... Con- controversy because of this whole GH2 looks good why do we even bother with these cameras well you know I imagine that the GH2 does look really good you know everyone says the GH2 is incredibly sharp the thing that somebody said on Pro Video Coalition which I thought was an interesting point is the only the only and it's not a criticism it's an observation you can make about the Zakuto Revenge shootout is it might have been more of a DOP shootout than a sensor shootout. <laughs> because there was... Because you get really good sensors. to light their yeah. own... Yeah, you have, to have a, you have to have basically a pretty good sensor, right? You don't, yeah. I mean, not, if it, you're not yeah. going to make an iPhone look like an Alexa. No, no. But if you've got something reasonable and then you get a really good DOP yeah. and a really good DOP who knows how to work with a colorist in a grading suite, that's not a dumb thing. And yeah. I have to say, that would be the takeout I'd prefer. I'd prefer instead of saying, kinds of a couple like Jet say, you know what? If you hire really talented people and you have a good camera mm. you'll be okay and and if, if we could just swing the conversation to that like guess what it isn't about the camera yeah. as much as it is about the filmmakers absolutely then indeed. that would be my take out indeed it is absolutely i think you just what you want to know is what are the what are what are the you don't want to say you don't really <laughs> you don't really want to know what are all the great points of the cameras? You want to know what's the sh- what's the shitty bits? What's okay, great camera. What's yeah. shitty about? It? What do you have to watch out for? Yeah, yeah what, this what's, camera will not look good. This in will these look good conditions. in this great. Though that will suit me for this job because I'm not going to shoot that. Yeah, and thing. you know, I'm not quite frankly, shoot in low light or I'm yeah, not and you end up with the matrix, around. right? If my job calls for high speed photography, okay, I just cut out six of the seven cameras or eight, yeah. six of the eight cameras. Yeah, and if I require to project it in a cinema. And if it is to intercut with 35mm film, okay, well, now I can tell you which camera. Not just any camera, yeah. any day, which camera. Because we talked about the fact that, look, you know, there's so many choices now. Everything's looking good. Everything's looking great. There's definitely horses for courses. We just want to know which is what my, horse isn't going to work well on what course. Which is my segue, if it's all about the filmmaker, into our two film festival slash competitions to talk about for this week. Now, the first of those is, I think you just found out before we went on air, what's the, it's like a... Yeah, there's only about a week or so to go. I had not seen anything about this, but this is the more of uh, an, this is an Australian, or I suppose anybody can enter it, maybe. I don't know, I have to check the, the, check the conditions. But it's the Open Road Film, Fest, Film Festival, which is really quite a cool, um, um, I'm going to open this website now and it's going to do this annoying one of those sites that does music. Um, it is, uh, I guess, a cross-promotion between Harley-Davidson and uh, Gregor Jordan and Brian Brown. And it's a really quite a clever little concept that they've actually shot the last 75 or so seconds, last minute or so. They've shot the ending, and they want you to shoot what leads up to this. You know, So let do the front half to match our back half. And they've made... 
the you know the people you can't see the people's faces involved in them the guy and the girl involved in it so you can you know it leaves you the room to substitute your own people as long as they sort of look vaguely the same sort of body shape so yeah its first prize is a bloody harley <laughs> and an, an eos right? 1dc yeah and second prize is a 7d body and lens and then there's a people's choice of a, like a 5d mark 3 and and stuff and but you said it's almost over but it doesn't close till october Fifth uh, of October. Close fifth of October. Okay. Yeah, Sorry, we've got a whole of September. Sorry, I'm ahead of myself. Yeah. I'm wishing the year and away already. And announces it in November. There you go. Yeah. So you can win either a Harley with a one D, um, yes, a seven D or a five D Mark III, and um, that information is at openroadfilmfestival.com. Though again. Notes in the show notes. By the way, whoever did their website, I think they did quite a nice job. Yeah, it's really well done. I think it's clever, and Gregor is a great director, and I think that that's done been done very cleverly well. This is marketing, you know, done done right. There's just enough Harley in there to to get the interest up, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a clever idea for a film festival that you have a part of it already shot. Yeah, I'm as long sure as it's been a, done before. As long as you've got a black helmet, you're you're ready to go. Exactly, you've got a black Harley Davidson helmet. Yes. Yeah. So, okay, so that's, very cool. That's what was the other one, film festival? Well, the other one is the ultimate filmmaking experience in Hollywood. Oh, that. Yes, yes. Okay, like that thing. The one that you're doing. That's right, that's right. I left this in the show notes from last time because it's got about another week to go and I've seen some great um, entries already. But, um, yeah, I just thought I'd sort of give it a last little plug to everybody to get their entry in if you are considering doing it. This is the Road Rockumentary. I've already chosen the band. Uh, which is, I think, it's an Indonesian heavy metal band. It's is really it? quite interesting. It's not. It's not Pussy Riot. It's not Pussy Riot. I thought no. it would be excellent if it was Pussy Riot. No. <laughs> yeah. That would involve yeah. Now with the doco on that. Actually, imagine if you had been doing a doco on that beforehand. Doco that that on is Pussy one Riot. doco that really would have gone off, gone in a few yeah. new directions. Madonna scrolled across. It. I can see you with. Here you are, in jail. turning up in LA. No, I was saying you turn up in LA to film. You walk into the recording studio. Jason strips off his shirt, and there's Pussy Riot written across his back. And, uh, and yeah, we go. Sorry, yeah, I'm being happened. silly. Okay, so look, let's okay. swing back to the actual event. It's there's a huge amount of prizes in this, and you are going to LA to help. Um, yes, I was a bit uncomfortable with the whole mentoring thing, but that's apparently what uh, I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> there's some bloody good entries already and these people don't need much mentoring as I like Film Bloom says I think we're just going to you know uh, happily quite sit by the hotel pool and have uh, hot and cold running G&Ts when are you going to go off and do what pool? they're going to do do you know when this would be uh, when it will be uh, late I think it's November late November okay. or so um, TBA at this point but the um, I think the competition ends at the end of the month Oh, sorry, end of uh, August. Uh, so, yeah, they've chosen the band, but, uh, yeah, obviously who's going to go and shoot them in L.A. for a week while they record their album uh, is yet to be decided. It can be you. Just, gay, just uh, yeah, an interesting doc. Well, it doesn't even have to be a documentary. We just want to show some interesting filmmaking ability or the ability to maybe do something different and Winners work a road mic in there somehow. And let's go to L.A., film, direct, and edit a doco yep. focusing on... This Indonesian punk band that isn't yeah the right. process of them 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 coming to LA to and that can and be from any angle studios it could be about Hollywood. the music it could be about them as people it could be you know there's a million ways to, to to swing it so it's going to be an interesting 
And it's going to be interesting exercise because what we don't want to do is obviously tell the people how to do it. We want to help them do what they do it their way rather than, you know. It's an interesting thing being a mentor because I don't really feel like I can. Uh, Chase, I think you're being too modest. I think Philip Lim, obviously, there is cinematographer, you there as director. I think it's a wealth of stuff you can do. And you know what? I think if I was somebody going to do that, I'd love to hang, hang out with you guys, discuss techniques, discuss approaches. Yeah, look, there's a million uh, ways to, to do things. Everything, doco, Every doco is interesting. It's, it's, it's about keeping, you know, keeping the human element in there and not getting lost on the technology and the imagery of it. Although it, there's no reason why docos can't look absolutely beautiful. And yeah. I, some of my favourite documentaries look... Uh, gorgeous but uh, that's not what they're about so it'll be interesting um um yeah and there's lots of great judges involved obviously to get to get the choice not just you know man phil choosing this stuff this comes down to, to voting and obviously and a huge panel of judges and and road themselves and yeah so yeah, it's a huge did a really swag nice, of prizes. Still did a really nice thing on the English Olympians for Adidas. Oh, uh, yeah. Did you see that? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's good. That was really nice. Terrific. Actually, there was a really good thing I saw as well, which I found out later was done by a couple of Australians, uh, which was playing a little bit here and there around the time of the Olympics, which is called – it was a Coca-Cola a doco. Did you ever see that? It this was wasn't called the, Coke Rocks or something like that? This wasn't the – no – because the it one I liked was Nike's anti, anti, what do you call it? Uh, ambush marketing for the Olympics. Did you well, see no, that piece? No. For who? For the Olympics for Nike. Because no. Nike wasn't the official thing. Oh, right. I kind of heard a little bit of... And so they... So while you're just looking up the other one, I'll just tell you about this one. Yeah. So, um, so obviously, we all heard about the brand police around London. Couldn't say yeah. anything, you know, London 2012, couldn't say Olympic golds, gold, bronze and silver was out. Like, you know, anything that you could think of was out. And how on earth can you run a campaign where you can reference the Olympics, where you can't show any athletes, you can't show any, you know, rings, you can't show any um, stuff around London, and you can't discuss it in terms of that. And so they came up with this really brilliant um, ad, which, I mean, I'm sure got more benefit out of people like me talking about it because it was clever to get around it. It was like, here, we're going to build, um, you know, every year there was a seal hunt in, in Canada and yeah. every year the, the hunters that you were doing that horrendous clubbing would come up with more and more ways to stop the protesters from getting in. I remember seeing a documentary on this, right? And it was like one year where that was like, they were with the hunters and it was like, we're going to, you know, do this and it's our right to club these seals, which obviously I don't agree with. And it was like, how is Greenpeace going to get through the barricade this time? And it seemed impenetrable. And they'd, they'd knocked off every other way of doing it. And suddenly they, the, the music cut to right of the Valkyries. And over the horizon came one of those, um, basically like a hovercraft. And they managed to go across the ice on this kind of hovercraft. Otherwise, the ice would give way. Right. And uh, it was just one of those, yeah. And I was like waiting for Nike. How is Nike going to break this stranglehold? I looked at the rules. I thought they were impenetrable. They ran an ad celebrating people winning in London, London, Canada, London, South Africa, <laughs> London. <laughs> so they'd have all these kids running this race in Excellent. London, Johannesburg, and then it would cut to London, you know, Ontario, and these people would be, you know, playing whatever it was, tug of war. And uh, it was like celebrating all the athletes that were winning in London this week in all the Londons around the world. It was just the best 
Excellent. Yeah. And of course, you could put up logos of London, South Africa, and no one's stopping you from saying that. That's true. That's true. The word London was banned, but which London? Which London, yeah. yeah. Uh, So, yeah, the project that I was talking about is called um, uh, Beat of London. I know they made a TVC, which probably was hammered here, at least over the the Olympics time, where um, the DJ, uh, his name is uh, Mark Ronson. Is a DJ and sort of producer and travel around the world filming uh, our athletes and getting their sound effects and building this sort of soundtrack, building this track with KDB, uh, build this soundtrack, uh, this song. And so I think they turned that into like a 30-second or so Coke clip where they're at a, a Coke commercial where they're at this big concert. But there was a really great doco made on the making of this track where they followed him around the world filming like ping pong guys and gymnasts and stuff and runners and, and him on a bicycle with a boom mic drive, riding on the athletics track while they recorded sound effects of guys going over um, the uh, long, not, what yeah, you know, long what? Jump, hurdles. Okay. <laughs> And building this uh, track out of it, so it's terrific. And uh, sort of a bit of research. Uh, Ross McLennan is a Australian cinematographer. I think he's based in in UK. Uh, his website is getrosco.com, two S's. And the director is uh, called Kim Gerrig, uh, G-E-R-H-I-G, another Aussie. So, yeah, they've shot it all on just one red MX and a set of super speeds. So one camera, a 200mm and some super speeds. And if you watch this doco, try and find... I, you can be found somewhere online in its entirety, the full doco. And, and man, it looks like they had 90 cameras and 50 um, phantoms. And it's just, it's, it's really nicely done and a really great, uh, again, w- another reason why, you know, docos can, example that docos can look uh, really nice. So, you get Roscoe.com is uh, his website. Excellent. It's very, very cool. I did like that. Um, Enjoyable. Brilliant. Yes. So okay. um, I just want to put a big plug in, as you probably heard at the start of the show, for the Speed Grade course, um, Adobe Speed Grade. We have uh, a complete course available. Go to fxphd.com and you can uh, download all 10 apps. And uh, Speed Grade, of course, very significant product for Adobe, um, came under their uh, wing a while ago. And we're really glad to have this um, really comprehensive speed grade training for those of you that are interested in an Adobe workflow. And that's over at FXPHD. Also wanted to do our shout out for our Twitter person of the week, which I'm going to do as Jim Gadildik. Um, Before you do that, can I do a shout out for another one of your courses, yeah, sure. which is the, the fast forward um, resolve course? Ah, so we have dueling fast-forward courses. Well, the Resolve 2012 uh, um, Fundamentals, I guess it's called, with um, Warren. With Warren. Uh, glad you liked it. Hmm? I'm glad you liked it. Yeah, it's terrific. Well, as I said, I mentioned it before, that I think Waz is a really great uh, teacher. He's a great grader, and he's graded a lot of my stuff in the past. And he's, uh, uh, yeah, good course, great overview. And it's not, you know, a big, if it's forced forward or you feel like it's going to be a bit light on, but this is, you know, this is still, whatever, at least, at least getting up towards of 10 hours of, of video. No, not quite that much, but yeah. Yeah, it's clo- close to it. Seven. But, um, you know, it, and it's all based on version 9, yeah? Yep, yep, absolutely. All so, version yeah, nine. We came terrific. out the day version and went out on beta. Um, so Jim Gagildik's uh, in Twitter at, at Filmbot. Uh, so that's F I L M B 
B-O-T. Jace, we have to go, but it's been great yeah. having you in, sir. Can I add one of those? I'm going to add yeah. a little a, not a Twitter and a blog. Um, Ryan Walters is a uh, DOP, and he's been helping me a lot. Uh, he's got a bit of a blog post on uh, Ryan... Um, I'm trying to think where his blog is, but his, his Twitter actually is Ryan Walt Cine. And uh, his blog, uh, he's got a blog at Ryan, RyanEWalters.com. And if you fish around there a little bit, he's got a great post on uh, graphics cards for Resolve and CS6 and uh, getting the best out of that and sort of doing a bit of, a bit of hacking of code and things and uh, getting um, the best speed out of aging Mac Pros and, uh, yeah, making it, making it work and doing your best on Red and... Um, 5D files without having a Red Rocket card. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. Obviously, I'm Mike Seymour on Twitter and, of course, at over at FX Guide and my friend, Mr. Wingrove. Uh, Wingrove.tv. Yep, and at Wingrove in at, Twitter. And Yeah, Wingrove on Twitter. Okay, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. See ya. Thanks for listening. Send your questions or comments to rc at fxguide.com. Copyright 2011, FX Guide, LLC.